Acts chapter number 9 this morning. And I want to draw your attention to a familiar portion of Scripture, no doubt. Many of you have probably read through the book of Acts many times, and you've come across the conversion of Paul. But I want to draw your attention to a couple of things this morning as we, we consider a question that was asked. In the beginning of Acts chapter number 9, you're going to see a couple of questions asked by Paul himself, and you're going to see what is taking place even before we get to where we're going to park this morning. But for just a moment, I want to draw your attention to verse number 4 and verse number 5, and then we will back up and come back to this portion of Scripture. The Bible says, And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now, in verse number 4, 5, and 6, you begin to be introduced to what is going to take place in the life of Paul. As you study the life of Paul, if you're like me, you'll begin to realize and you'll appreciate the difference and the change that Christ not only made in Paul's life, but he has also made in our lives. And it is truly the difference maker being the Lord Jesus Christ within our lives. And he asked the question, in verse number 4, you see a question being asked. In verse number 5, you see a question being asked. And in verse number 6, you see a question being asked. And the very first question that is asked is in verse number 4, as it says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And we'll look at that here in just a few moments. The second question that you see is in verse number 5, who art thou, Lord? That question. And we come to realize those are some questions that give some insight into what is going on. But the very next question is a question that I believe many Christians are not asking anymore. Not only just one time, but at all. The Bible says in verse number 6, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You see, as a child of God, the Christian life is not a life where you get saved and then you set yourself on the sidelines. It's not a life where you get saved and you say, okay, Lord, that's it. That's all I wanted. That's all I needed. I don't don't desire to serve you. I don't desire to worship you. I don't desire to do any of those things. Notice the difference that takes place in the life of Paul immediately. In verse number five, he says, who art thou, Lord? And all of a sudden, he is introduced to the one that changes lives. He says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he's trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? As you continue reading this portion of Scripture, you'll find that in verse number 10, there's a man by the name of Ananias that the Lord is going to tell to go and seek out Paul. And as Paul is Saul at the time, and he later on, the Bible tells us that he goes by both of those names, Saul is coming to Damascus, he is coming to make himself known that he is coming to attack, to tear down, to persecute, to mock, to bring back, to, if you would, to arrest. And Ananias is going to receive word that, hey, you need to go and seek out Saul. And the Bible tells us that even Ananias was taken back a little bit. In verse number 13, the Bible says, Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man the testimony of Saul was known. Uh, People knew that he was persecutor. People knew that he was a mocker. People knew that he was on a mission and he was doing that mission and he was doing it well, if you were to say it that way. 
And in verse number 14, the Bible says, And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on name. You see in verse number 1 and 2 that that is what is taking place. And Ananias is aware that, hey, Saul is coming, and he's coming not just to say hi, he's coming to do damage. Now, as you study the life of Saul, here's something that is very interesting. I like to, to, to understand why things are taking place. You ever have someone that comes and tells you to do something, and the very first question you want to ask is, why? Why are we doing that? Why do I have to do that? Why do I need to do that? What is the purpose in doing that? And Saul here, we want to ask the question, why? Why was he like he was? He later on, in some of his writings, tells us that, hey, if there was one that was best of the best, it was Saul. His education was great. His upbringing was great. His knowledge was great. He was a, he was a dangerous man. He was well known and his testimony spoke for itself. As the Bible tells us, and here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. Verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went. Now later on, you're going to find that Saul is going to come up upon the disciples. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in verse number 26, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. I'm telling you, the testimony of Saul spoke for itself. All right, Peter was Peter, but Saul was Saul. It's just a different, it's just a different game. It's just, it's just different. But Barnabas, notice what the Bible says in verse number 27, took him, brought him to the apostles, declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem, and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm talking about a life that was changed. I'm talking about one that was hating Christians, and now he is trying to reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about one who was on a mission, and all of a sudden his mission got wrecked, and now he's on a new mission, and he was taking that mission seriously. And there's a change that began to take place, but we ought to understand the difference that is taking place here. As a matter of fact, Paul himself would make known the difference that Jesus Christ had made in his life, as he says in Philippians 1, verse number 20 and 21, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. It all makes sense in Philippians chapter number 1 of what he is saying as he is being revealed in verse number 15, as the Bible tells us in 16, rather, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. A life that was changed. But as you back up and you understand why Paul hated the church, why he hated Christians, what his problem was, you understand his upbringing, you understand his background, you understand the tradition of things, and all of a sudden you begin to understand a little bit of why he was the way that he was. He had some reason until truth confronted him. Can I share with you, there is a world out there, and there are a lot of people in this world that have a lot of questions about the truth of God's Word and Jesus Himself, and when we introduce them to truth, truth speaks for itself. 
There are a lot of people who try to give their own answers. and They're trying to reason with the world and trying to figure these things out. But the word of God speaks for itself. And when you're confronted with truth, you can't say no. You just can't say no. You know, growing up, whenever we were growing up and playing sports, we would always debate. And, you, you know, you start throwing out facts and all this and facts speak for themselves. And we would always talk about that and you start comparing players and you start comparing uh, all of the stats and everything and it speaks for itself. The word of God speaks for itself this morning as you come to understand the life of Saul for just a few moments. Notice what the Bible says in verse number one. I want you to notice two things this morning. Number one, Paul's actions. Why were Paul's actions justified? Why did he have a reason to do this? Why did we, why can we understand where he was coming from? The Bible says in verse number one, and Saul, yet bringing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. And he desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, that is an important statement right there, by the way, of this way. You see, there ought to be something about your life that says you are of the way. There ought to be some change in your life. There ought to be people that say, hey, that's a Christian right there. I can tell by the way they live their lives and the way they speak of Christ, the way they do things. There needs to be a distinction. We have fallen into the trap of the 2023 where there is no distinction anywhere anymore because we're trying to fit into the world and trying to look like the world and trying to fit into the church and trying to look like the church and it just doesn't mesh well. You can't do that. It doesn't look well. It doesn't go well. And he says specifically, if he found any of this way, they stood out if you would. Can I share with you, don't don't be ashamed to stand out. You ought to stand out. You ought to be one that looks different and, and the Christian life speaks of your life the way you live it. Ought to be genuine. Whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. As you think about Paul, Paul was a, a pioneering missionary. Paul didn't sit around. Paul went. Paul was a go-getter. Paul was a doer. Paul was wanting to plant churches. He was wanting to seek people to minister to. He was wanting to do the work of the Lord. He wasn't waiting on others to do the work of the Lord. He was wanting to do the work of the Lord. And if you were on board, jump on board. If you weren't, then get behind me. I've got a mission to do. That was Paul's mentality. He would go into towns and he would preach and he would ask, hey, not to be clothed, not to be fed, not to be housed. He just wanted to tell people about Jesus. There are some that come into the life of Paul and they begin to criticize him and begin to tell lies about his life and say that he was only coming to get gain and coming to get financial gain and all these many things. And he begins to go and he begins to tell those individuals, I don't want any food, I don't want any clothes, I don't want any housing, I just want to minister to people. That was who and what Paul was about. Paul was a pioneering missionary. And so as you look at the life of Saul here for just a few moments, and you say, what took place? Jesus took place. And Paul's actions spoke for themselves. You see, Paul was an intellectual individual. Paul wasn't uh, an individual that didn't know things. He was intellectual. He, he could understand that there could be no coexistence between Judaism and Christianity. 
Under his teachings, he understood that either Christianity was real and Judaism was obsolete, or he began to realize that either Judaism was real and that there could be no Christianity, but they could not coexist. He understood this as he understood the teachings and he knew these things. And so to understand the significance of Paul's conversion, you have to understand his upbringing. Why was he the way that he was? Why did he go about his life doing these things to Christians and his understanding of what they were and who they were and what he was trying to stop? You see, Paul here for just a few moments came to the conclusion that there was no way that Jesus could have claimed to be the Messiah and the Son of God and had been so. Why? Go with me to verse number three of Galatians chapter number three for just a moment. In Paul's right mind and in his understanding, he understood what was taking place. And in Galatians chapter number three, you come to verse number 13 for just a moment. And the Bible tells us and helps us to understand that Paul understood that if a man was hanged on a cross, He was accursed by God. And the Bible tells us Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. Paul understood, hey, this one that claims to be Messiah, there's no way because he hung on a tree. Later on, it makes Paul's greatest, uh, what you would say, argument, the one that he was making an argument for, he makes a statement in the book of Philippians that helps us understand that what was once his greatest argument against Christianity is now his greatest argument for Christianity. As he says in Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 8, that Jesus was the one who became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so what was once his greatest argument against Christianity is now his greatest argument for Christianity. But he had the reasoning. He had all of the understanding, he had all of the knowledge that this could not be. There's no way that Jesus, this one who claims to be the Messiah, could be the Messiah because he hung on a cross. And so he was very simply understanding in his own mind that that is heresy what he is saying. Until he met Jesus. And truth always takes care of itself. He's a very passionate person within this conclusion of his own that he had to just rid of this Christianity. He was on a mission. And so he was a very passionate individual. As a matter of fact, his upbringing speaks of that in Acts chapter number 26, verse 4 and 5. My manner of life for my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem. Know all the Jews which knew of me from the beginning if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Philippians 3, verse 4 and 6, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man, other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law blameless. He was saying, hey, if there was anyone, I was the best of the best. But then he met Jesus, and Jesus told him, oh, you're nothing. You know, arrogance is knocked down whenever truth is confronted with it. Pride is knocked down whenever truth is confronted with it. All of a sudden, you think you're something, and all of a sudden, the Lord says, I can take care of that. Paul is helping them to understand, hey, if there was ever one that was best of the best, I was. My education was great. My upbringing was great. My knowledge was great. People knew who Saul was. 
As a matter of fact, we come to realize that because in chapter number nine of the book of Acts, we see that there are some individuals who are a little bit taken back. As a matter of fact, in verse number 21, the Bible says, but all that heard him were amazed and said, is not this he that destroyed them, which called on this name in Jerusalem? And came hither for the intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest. Hey, isn't this, this the one? This is that Saul. That, that, that's the Saul that's been persecuting the church. The Saul that's been ridiculing the church. The Saul that's been murdering Christians. This is the one. Is not this he? He walks up on the disciples. You can imagine for just a moment. Imagine for just a moment we're, we're standing outside and, and maybe there's a top ten most wanted in Clarksville, Tennessee. And the one that's number one on the list strolls up on the parking lot of Gateway Baptist Church. We're just out there talking. All of a sudden, we're thinking, I'm going to go back inside, y'all. I'll see y'all later. The disciples, they're, they're, they're afraid of them. They're thinking, we know you, and we know what you're about. And so we're leaving. The Bible tells us that Barnabas took him. And brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way. Ananias is told to go and to seek out Saul. And he begins to say, Lord, this one, I've heard of him. I know of him. And he's on his way to get me. But you're wanting me to go get him? He's coming to kill me. But now you're telling me to go and to, 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 to talk to this, this persecutor, this murderer. That's exactly what he's doing. Because there was a difference that had taken place. You see, his persecution was great. In Galatians chapter number 1, the Bible tells us in verse number 13 and 14, For ye have heard of my conversation in time past. In the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being far more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father's. When I read those verses right there in the book of Galatians, I don't read it in such a way where Paul is bragging about these things. See, Paul's life was changed. Paul understood what he had done previous. Paul understood that he was once persecuting the church. Can you imagine for just a moment, Paul is recapping some of the things that he has done. And I imagine as he is making this statement in Galatians chapter 1, that it's as though he has some, some agony in his voice. And as he says these words, for you have heard of my conversation in times past, I imagine that it doesn't come with a braggadocious spirit, but it's more of a, I'd imagine you know. Can I put it to you this way, having a conversation with someone, and there are times whenever people will come up, and maybe you're an individual that somebody knows about your past, and someone comes up and begins to talk about your past, and you want to really quickly let them know, hey, that I'm not proud of that. I'm not happy about the things that I did when I was in that season of my life. I don't really, I don't really like to talk about those things. Paul says in these words in Galatians, For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jewish religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God. I'm not, I'm not happy about those things. I wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in my own nation, being far more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my Paul believed it and he stuck to it. In Acts chapter number 22, he goes on and says this in verse number 4, And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Acts twenty-two nineteen, And I said, Lord, they know that I am prison and beat in every synagogue. Them that believed on me. 
Paul's aware of what he had done. Paul's aware of all the things that he had spent time doing. Acts 26, 9 through 11. I barely thought myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even under strange cities. Paul is aware of some of the things he had done. Paul's actions in his mind at that time of his life were justified because there's no way Judaism and Christianity could, could coexist. There's no way that those of this way were speaking truth. They were speaking heresy and there was no way that they needed to. And so we must rid them and their lives. And so as you come to chapter number 9, you begin to realize the difference that takes place in these verses here. It's a big deal. It's not a small thing. Verse number 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. What is going to take place now, we see Paul's actions, but now as you transition from Paul's actions and understanding what he was about and who he was and what was taking place, now you come to the conversion. The conversion of Paul begins to take place, and many of us, if we are being honest, we love a good conversion story. We love transformations taking place. If any of you are HGTV people, you know you like that house hunter show. Whenever there's people looking for a house, they say, I want this house, but I want it to look this way. So they knock down every wall. They, they rip the, they gut the kitchen, they gut the bathrooms, they gut everything out, and all of a sudden at the end of the show, you spend five minutes looking at what had been taken, done, done to that house. And you look and you say, wow. If I were to put up on the, on the monitor right this very moment a, a, a picture of the auditorium before we got in here, and a picture of the auditorium now, and a picture of the nursery now, and a picture of what it used to, you'd say, wow, what a transformation took place. And those are all great. But you know what's even sweeter? If I were to take you back for a few moments, I were to tell you who Josh Farmer used to be. I were to play some of the music that Josh Farmer used to listen to over the intercom. I were to speak like Josh Farmer used to speak for just a few moments. And I were to, to, to show you some pictures of who Josh Farmer used to be. If I were to, to go through and we were to do that with each of us this morning. And we were to say, hey, let's just look at some of those befores and some of those afters. Can I tell you, I'm thankful for a great transformation picture of this auditorium. But I'm thankful for a transformation picture that took place in my own life. I'm thankful for a transformation picture that took place in many of the lives this morning where you were one on one way and you were going about your way and all of a sudden Jesus got in the way and now you're going a different way this morning. I'm thankful for that type of transformation. And in this passage of scripture, you come in contact with a man by the name of Saul where all of a sudden, just like that, as he is going to arrest people, that Jesus arrests his attention and says, hey, hold up, Saul, for just a moment. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice. I mean, you talk about a transformation where this man is going to persecute the church and kill the church and imprison people. And now the Bible is telling us that he was preaching the name of Jesus. That's a transformation. That's a difference. 
And all of a sudden, the conversion of Paul is one that we look at and we say, wow, what a difference. And the Bible goes on to help us understand in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to remind the people, hey, this is directly from Jesus. My life's been changed. And so for the rest of Paul's life, he would go and he would preach Jesus. Romans 1, 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, 3, and 4, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which ye also received, and wherein ye stand. For I delivered it unto you the first day, first of all, that which also I received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Oh, is that where I stopped? No, the Bible says that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's Jesus. It's the power of Christ. You see, there's a question that now is going to be asked after this conversion here. The question is, who art thou? Who art thou? As you see the, the conversion taking place, we look at the actions and the question is asked, who Art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. All of a sudden, there we come to realize there are so many people in this day and age that are asking this question. Who is this Jesus you're speaking of? We were on vacation this past week, and we were standing on top of the balcony, and this is something that is one of those proud moments. You're standing out on the balcony, and we had a, a family that was staying to our ride, and they had a, a big group themselves, and their family would come over. We'd play Foursquare every once in a while, or spike ball, and these, these families would come over, and some of the kids would be coming over, and there was a, a group of kids from that family that was out, and they were all playing uh, Foursquare, or rather attempting to play Foursquare. It looks like chaos, but it's fine. And our group of kids and, and I were out there as well, and I heard one of the, the, I can't remember who it was, but we were standing on the balcony, and all of a sudden I heard someone in our family say, did you hear that? They're asking if they're saved. As I heard it, there are times in our lives when we ask the question, is all this worth it? What's the big deal if we bring our kids to church? What's the big deal if we make this a, a priority in the home? What's the big deal if we speak much of Jesus? What's the big deal if we talk about how good the Lord is? What, what's the big deal? Until all of a sudden the Lord uses your children once again as an illustration when you see a group of children asking other children if they're saved. If you were to die right now, where would you spend eternity? You think, oh, it matters. It matters. And I began to think about my own life in that moment, and I began to think about the difference that Jesus has made in my life. And in many of our lives this morning, you see the question, who art thou? Well, who is this Jesus? I'll tell you who this Jesus is. Where Jesus is, joy is found there. Where Jesus is, truth is found there. Where Jesus' love is found there. Where Jesus' peace is found there. Excitement is found there. Hope is found there. Where Jesus is, everything you need is there. Can I share with you, you're going to come in contact with people this week that might need peace. They're searching after hope. They're searching after answers. And you have all of that, and it's found in Jesus. 
It's not found in Google. It's not found in the, the, the secular theologies. It's not found in the, 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 the job they work. It's not found in the finances they have. It's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the answers. If you've come to the house of God this morning, you're searching for hope. His name is Jesus. If you've come to the house of God and you're searching for answers, look to the Lord. If you're coming to the house of God and you're searching for peace, you're searching for, 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 for some help or comfort, it's found in Jesus. And Paul found it for the first time. Paul said, oh, the education that I had, it was a, the best of the best. Until the Lord says, no, it wasn't. As a matter of fact, you had it all wrong. Oh, man, the, the, the zeal that I had, it was, it was the top-notch zeal. Yeah, it was just misplaced. The friends I had in government, oh, they were on my side. Yeah, but they weren't on the side that you were searching for. All of a sudden, everything in Saul's life is confronted just like this. And all that he had thought he had been searching for and searching after was shattered. Now he is telling people about Jesus. In Psalm 19, I love Psalm 19 because Psalm 19, it, it paints a picture as though you're, you're looking for the Lord and he begins to just lay out who our God is and the power of the Word of God and the, 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 the scenes that we get to behold every day. And it's as though it's a, a scene that is opening up and all of a sudden the curtains open up and it introduces you to the Lord God Almighty. And in this moment right here, that's exactly what happened to Paul. For the first time in his life, he understood what faithfulness actually looked like. You see, faithfulness is found in the promise of salvation. The Bible tells us this in Titus 1-2, in the hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. The Lord's faithfulness is found in His provision when He says in Philippians 4-19, but my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God's faithfulness is found in His purpose when Paul finally, for the first time, understood what His purpose was. In 1 Peter 4.16, the Bible tells us that if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Acts chapter 9 tells us in just a few verses that all that was going to be revealed for the sake of suffering for Christ would be revealed to Paul. Paul later on begins to lay everything out and he starts to talk about the shipwrecks that he'd been in. About the stonings. About the imprisonments. But he didn't quit because he knew the purpose and the mission that was taking place. See, faithfulness was found as you go to the Lord in prayer. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jeremiah 33.3, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. The faithfulness of God is found in peace. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Found in his protection. We could go on and on. Paul's life right here is completely transformed. The conversion of Paul. Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And so we close with this now in verse number six. You're here this morning. 
Maybe you are saved. Maybe you have been attending church your whole life. Maybe you are serving. Maybe you're doing certain things, but you've never truly asked this question. <laughs> Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. One of the sad realities in the Christian life is that there are many Christians who are they're faithful to the house of God. But they've never asked that question, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? They show up in Sunday school. They show up in Sunday morning. They show up in Sunday evenings. They show up when the doors of the church are open in the midweek. But they haven't asked the question, Lord, truly, what would thou have me to do? Paul's life speaks of something that completely made a difference in not only his life, but in the lives of others. Paul would later on go on and be used mightily of the Lord, and he would preach the word. And in Acts chapter number 20, verse number 20, the Bible tells us that he says, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house. Acts twenty six nineteen through 20, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and to the, and to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God. A difference was made. But here's the question. Why was there a difference that was made and why did he act upon it? He asked that question, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? As Paul asked that question, he understood that everything that he had seen in that moment, everything that he had thought was true was no longer true, that he had found the truth. If I were to ask you this question this morning, how many of you truly believe that the Word of God is true? I believe every one of us would say, yes, we believe that. But here's the question. Why aren't we doing anything? Why aren't we doing anything? And we ask the question now, is your life yielded to the Lord? Paul's life was completely yielded. In Acts chapter number 9, you see he is commanded to go, and immediately he goes, and Ananias begins to come onto the scene, and the disciples come onto the scene, and Barnabas comes onto the scene, and all of what is going to take place begins to take place. I want you to think with me for just a moment that this is your hand. This is your life. It's a glove. The glove is a blue glove. It can be used for a lot of things. That glove's not going to come and shake your hand right now. That glove's not going to go into the bathroom and clean the toilets. The glove's not going to take up the offering place. That glove's not going to stand there and wave as it teaches a Sunday school class. That glove is not going to stand up and preach the, the Word of God. That glove is not going to sing a special. That glove is not going to welcome visitors to the door. That, that glove is not able to do anything at all. Paul was going about his life and he was doing his own thing and he was thinking that he was doing the right thing and he was going and he was persecuting, he was mocking, he was ridiculing, he was murdering, he was arresting, all of these many things. Paul was doing all of that. And we would have looked at Paul's life and we would have said, Paul, you're doing nothing. You're as useless as that glove that is on that pulpit because you're doing nothing for the cause of Christ. That glove is useless. That glove is useless. Jonathan, come here. 
Go ahead and put that glove on. Until something goes into that glove. Now all of a sudden that glove can go and clean some toilets. That glove can hold the Word of God and preach from the Word of God. That glove can hold a microphone and sing. That glove can go and shake some hands. That glove can go and teach a Sunday school class. That glove can go and, and welcome some visitors. That glove can go and take some children down to the children's church. That glove can come on a Wednesday evening and, and greet people. That glove can do a lot of things because something went into the glove. And all the difference that was made in Paul's life when his life was useless. His life, he was going about his life as dead as a glove. He was just laying there. He was doing things, but he was going nowhere. He was doing nothing profitable under the life of Christ. All of a sudden, until the Holy Spirit took preeminence in the life of Paul. Oh, God began to, to work in Paul's life. And now Paul's life was not just a glove, but now Paul's life was a glove that was preaching. It was a life that was speaking. It was a life that was doing something that only God could do through it. If I ask you this question, is your life like this glove if it were laying on this pulpit? Oh, you're saved. You're not allowing the Lord to lead you. You're just laying there as dead as could be. That glove is laying there. I could talk to it all day. It ain't going nowhere. I can give it a high five. It ain't high fiving me back. The sad reality is there are many Christians whose lives are not yielded to the Lord and they're not asking this question, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You see, as a 16-year-old boy, I got saved. Came back from teen camp and I had to make some hard decisions because I was so focused on basketball and my future and all that and all of a sudden, you roll around, got saved in July. The following January, I was confronted with a hard decision that I had to make. Yes or no? What am I going to do? The Lord had been dealing with my life about the call to preach. I didn't know what it meant. Didn't know where I was going to go. Didn't know where I was going to do. Didn't know anything. I just knew the Lord said, I'm calling you to preach. And from the time of probably uh, about September, October until January, I laid here just like this glove. And I played basketball. I went to school. I showed up to the house of God. I sat in my seat. I served. I did all those many things that I knew. I, was, I wasn't doing the will of God. Matter of fact, I wasn't even asking, Lord, what would I have me to do? I just knew he was wanting me to do something. I kept telling him no. January came around. I remember surrendering finally to the call to preach. As I look at that glove, it's as though I look at my own life and it's as though I took this glove and I said, Lord, I don't know what it looks like. It might look as ugly as that. Can't get this thing on. Aren't you thankful the Lord don't make a mess of things like we do? But I said, here it is. Call to preach, I'll go preach. You want me to be a youth director, I'll be you want me to be a pastor, I'll be a pastor. You want me to be a missionary, I'll be a missionary. You want me to clean toilets, I'll clean toilets. Lord, here's my life. And I wonder tonight or this morning, have you asked the question, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Paul here is confronted 
In verse number four, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Verse five, who art thou, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Verse number six, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The Lord said unto him, arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And he goes, and he does. And we look at the life of Paul, and we say, man, what a life Paul was. No, he was just a glove. But a heart change took place. And all of a sudden, Paul's life found purpose and value in the Lord Jesus Christ. I close with this this morning because it's very interesting to understand that the Lord had servants and has servants everywhere. The Lord doesn't lack it. He'll get the job done. You fast forward a few verses and you see Ananias. Not much is said about Ananias. Except for these words, Behold, here am I. And for many of us, if we're being honest, we would like to be Paul. But I wonder if there are some Ananiases in here this morning that would just very simply say, Behold, here am I. Lord, I, I don't have much. Oh, it's fine. I just need you to go and encourage Saul. Saul, he, he, he's, he's, been, he's been doing some bad things. His life has changed. Behold, here am I. And he goes and he does. You see, this morning, I want to draw your attention to understand one more time. You're living one life. What are you going to do with it? So I've got all these plans. That's, that's great. But have you considered asking the question, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Lord, we do thank you this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And Lord, as we consider all of these many things, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would draw us back to our knees and asking the question, Lord, what wilt thou have us to do? Lord, tonight as we continue along the lines of this theme and driving home the purpose with our lives and the, the plan that you have and the pattern set before us and everything that you have for us to do, Lord, may we not just have a head and a heart knowledge of you, but Lord, may we do something. Lord, may we ask, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? All oh, the change that is made in our lives. When we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit's leading. Help us not to be dead gloves. Oh, they're there. They look good. They can serve a purpose. But only when they're put on. May we be yielded to the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit in such a way, Lord, where we say yes to whatever it is that you have for us. Take this invitation. Use it the way you see fit. We'll thank you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Could I encourage you? Don't be a dead glove. Ask the Lord, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Maybe it is to go and to share the gospel with someone. Maybe it is to, to go and to serve in a specific capacity. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never once accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You don't even, you don't even have never been presented the gospel, confronted with your sin, understanding that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Maybe that's you this morning. You want to find yourself being helped, shown from the Word of God what it means. How can you be saved? What does the Bible have to say about it? Not what man has to say, but what does the Word of God have to say about it? 
Some are praying. The Lord's dealing with you. I want to encourage you. Find yourself in prayer. Spend some time here.